Amen. John chapter 10. We're continuing where we left off last week in this uh, exposition of Jesus as the shepherd. We his sheep, we his sheep that he has called out by name and we've, we've heard the voice of the shepherd and we're, we're walking out. And so today what we're going to do is going to continue in this dialogue, this sermon that Jesus is giving to these, this audience which consists of the Pharisees and scribes as well as the blind man that he had healed and all the bystanders who are wondering who is this Jesus guy? And that audience is joined in by us. Jesus wants us to know something about his heart, about what he's done through his word this morning. And so in John chapter 7, where we pick up where we left off last week, Jesus says this, verse 7 says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Everyone say, I am the door. He doesn't say, I am a door. He says, I am the door. I am the door. And and then he goes on and he says, all who came before me or outside of me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and life abundantly, life to the full life where you're flossing like never before, Bobby, like the real type of life, the high life. And see, the thing about the life abundantly is that, is that we've been informed uh, concerning abundance based on what we see in culture. What we see in culture is what gives us a picture of what abundance is like on this earthly plane. But the life abundantly that Jesus is speaking about goes beyond what we see. It goes beyond our expectations. It goes beyond our imagination. It beyond, beyond what we can fathom or conceive in our own hearts. See, see the thing is, is that I, I am, uh, I, I've, I've lived a short life, and what I've seen is that uh, in my life, I'll achieve, I'll achieve, I'll try, I'll try, I'll, I'll get the diploma, get the degree, get the promotion, get the transfer to the different department, and then rock it at that department and get the awards from the, uh, at the award show. And, and, and everyone's like, man, how'd you do it? You're so awesome. And as the, the higher I go, I realize that more money, more, more problems. You may not know any Bible verses, but you know that one from the prophet P. Diddy. Uh, more money, more problems. The, the higher you go, the more expectation that is placed on you. The, the higher you go, the more pressure, the more stress, the, the harder it is. The more you increase as far as your finances, the bigger the bills just get. Come on, somebody. It's like you thought that once you got that raise, you'd finally be, you know, be able to breathe a little bit easier. Then you get that raise, and, and, and wifey says, um... Remember, you promised me when we were dating that you would. And you're like, shut up. Okay, honey, I, I, I remember that. And we find ourselves in this place where we're wondering, is there more to this life? Is there more to this life? We turn on the TV and we look at people who have the, the picture-perfect life soul culture would have us believe. And, and we try to take snapshots into their lives. I mean, like keeping up with the Kardashians or whatever it is called. I only watched it for research. They have all the trappings of success and splendor. But what you see in their life is a hunger for more. 
You look at the housewives of New Jersey, the housewives of Atlanta, housewives of Orange County, housewives of Hollywood. I wish they would do the housewives of Des Moines, Iowa, just to kind of, you know, give us some balance. So Rachel was out on the farm, and they got in an argument over some straw. But you look at these lives of these people and all of these people who appear to have the American dream are asking, yearning, begging, is there more to this life? Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and life abundantly. Oh, come on. Can I get church a little bit? Let me get church, David Cox. I remember growing up in church and, and it would go like this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And life to the full life. Abundantly life like you've never known before. And, and the organist is going crazy. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I would sit in the pew and think to myself, This life that they're talking about, when I look at Christians, seems to be a life that's stuck between being Ned Flanders on one extreme and then on the other extreme, being given a dress and a harp to play for the rest of my life or eternity. I don't want to be Ned Flanders and I don't want to wear a dress. I'll play a harp any day. I mean, come on now. I'll play a harp. For a little bit. To impress my wife. But not for eternity. And so you look to the world. And the world. In their system. Even though they achieve something. They still ask the question. Is there not more? Then you start walking as a Christian. And and God has done something in your life. But you ask the same question. Is there more to this. Than just singing some nice songs to Jesus. And hearing someone preach and then going back and and trying to struggle with life. Jesus says this. He says, uh, verse 7, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. What you've got to understand is that the door uh, was, there was only one entrance in the sheepfold. The sheepfold was made up of four walls and there was only one opening. See, in in today's culture, they say that the way that you achieve and the way that you finally get balance in your life and in your universe, when when you reach that spiritual place, is, is when you find a door that works for you. As if there are multiple methods to get into this place of happiness. The human dream of this utopia has multiple entry places, entry points. And Jesus dispels that myth and says, I am the door. There's only one door. And I am the door. And, and this door that he's describing is not a door that has a hinge. It's made of wood because a shepherd understands. And, and people who come from this culture understand that a shepherd would actually lay in that little opening and become a physical door by which the sheep would come in. Sheep would be protected by the night and would go out and pasture. He was the physical door. The shepherd would lay down in the entryway and become the door. Everyone say lay down. He would lay down and become the door. I I wish you could get the picture that makes me so happy about the shepherd who lays down 
and becomes the door. He becomes the access point by which I enter into God's kingdom. He is the access point. Buddha could not be an access point. Confucius could not be an access point. Muhammad is not an access point. Tom Cruise and the Scientology people are not an access. Oprah is not. Got too many ladies. Don't, look, don't, don't talk about Oprah. He says, I am the door. Any other system, any other prophet, any other Messiah that is outside of me, that came before me, is a thief and a robber. And if you look at every system, every religion, every other savior, from Stalin to Saddam, everything that humanity has propped up as a salvation piece for humanity has taken from the people. They've confiscated lands. They've redistributed assets. They've, they've taken from you. They've taken away your joy, your hope, by placing you and confining you in religious activity that gets you nowhere. I am the door. If anyone would believe in me, anyone would, would follow me, if anyone would, would enter in by me, he will be saved. And the very fact that Jesus says that you will be saved by entering through him means that you needed to be saved. I, I know it's very popular in, in, in American Christianity that right nowadays, Mike Wilcox, to, um, uh, to preach nice, friendly, shiny, happy people sermons where we don't talk about the need for salvation. We talk about the need to have a better life. Sounds Am I tickling your ear yet? Almost, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, God just wants you to be happy. God wants you to be fulfilled. God wants you to have purpose. God wants you to, to have a house, husband, and a car. He wants you to live the blessed life. See, all those messages are good messages, right? But. They miss the point of the gospel. The gospel is a message that preaches that you and I are jacked up. We're busted, disgusted on our way to hell. And Jesus comes to save us from eternal destruction. We needed to be saved. We needed to be rescued. We needed someone who was bigger than us. Someone who was perfect. Someone who was spotless. Who would redeem us from our sin and bring us into the sheepfold of God. You guys with me so far? He says that if anyone would enter by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he's the entry point by which you get saved, but then he's also the access point by which you get protection from God. You're able to go in and out and find the blessings of God. And so the next few verses from verse 11 through 18, what Jesus is doing is, is now explaining this life abundantly, how it's accessed. And how it's made effective. So he makes some statements. Verse 11. You guys with me? He makes this statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. Or a more literal translation. I am the shepherd. The good one. What you've experienced before were thieves and liars and murderers. But I am the shepherd. The good one. The, the, the one who, who has care and compassion for his sheep. The one who came to give not to take. I am the shepherd, the good one. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, point number one, lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
the gospel, the good news about the gospel is that it is not God's love being measured by potential. But it is God's love measured by the capacity of the sacrifice of him on a cross for your, your sin and my sin. Oh, you, let me go deeper so you may, you may understand that a little bit more. See, the thing is this, that um, when you're in love with someone, you say some stupid stuff, man, especially when you're 13 years old and, you, and you're listening to Justin Bieber. And um, in, in my day, we didn't have Justin Bieber, but we had uh, PM Don and, and Madonna and, you know, Paula. Two steps forward, I did two steps back. Opposites attract. PM Don, man. I mean, you guys remember PM Don? Anybody willing to admit that they used to have a PM Don tape besides me and Stephanie back there, you know? PM Don, they had this one. Oh, thank you very much. You, now you've been forgiven of all your sins. See, you found redemption right there. See, she was, she was like, I, I did. <laughs> PM Don had this song, I die without you. And you go to a girl when you're 13, you tell her, baby, <clears throat> baby, fake bass. I'll die without you. And she say, oh my God, you serious? You die without me? And you're like, I love you. You're like, oh my God. He loves, he said he would die without me. And we make these, these, these warranties. And the thing about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't say that he'll die without you. He says, I died to bring you to me. I died so that you could be with me. It's not him speaking of potential. It's speaking past tense. I laid down my life for my sheep. I laid down my life for my, you know, guys have this thing that they, yeah, okay. Just look straight up at me, okay, because I, you know, you don't want to like embarrass yourself in front of your girlfriend or wife. But sometimes, guys, it's usually after a long day when you're just kind of hanging out and the game is over and you've done, you know, talking about politics and girls and all that. Guys will start doing this type of thing. Uh, you know, what's up? You know, dog, you know, you know, we keep it real, you know, like, you know, you have never met a brother that's, you know, you know, you know, you know. That's right. You know, we keep it 100. You no know, dog, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just speaking for personal. This is what we would say to each other, you know. Uh, I'll take a bullet for you, man. I got your back. You're like, oh, man, you got my back? I got your back too, dog. I'll take a bullet for you, man. If anything happened to your girl, call me, man. We've had these conversations with each other. Every guy in here has had that conversation with somebody. Okay? Look straight up at me. Don't don't elbow your wife. Say, I didn't do that. <laughs> I got, I, you know, I got your back. You know, I got your back. And then it gets kind of weird. Like, dude, are you hitting on me? <laughs> no, nah, man, I hit. Just shut up, man. Then you start wrestling or fighting or something. And then it's, so that moment is deleted. I was growing up, and I, 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 we, we started this gang. I told you about it last week. I confessed, and, and I'm coming clean, you know. I, I started a gang called the Looney Tunes, you know. We weren't selling drugs or anything because I lived in a very close community, and drugs were just like, you know, like demons. You, you cannot bring drugs there, you know. And, and, but 
we weren't selling drugs. We weren't stealing. We weren't doing anything bad per se. But we started a gang to protect ourselves from this bully that had moved from California. We're in Michigan, and this bully named Gary Poindexter. Isn't it funny that you remember the names of all the bullies in your life? Gary Poindexter. I used to make fun of his name. Yes. If your last name is Poindexter, it's not you. But if your name is Gary Poindexter, it's you. <laughs> Gary Poindexter moved to Berrien Springs, Michigan. And, and, I mean, when you're 14 years old and you're, like, 7 feet 5, and you have, like, muscles in your nostrils... That's a problem. You shouldn't be taking steroids at 14 years old or ever for that matter. But Gary was picking on us and he was bullying us around. So we got together and said, you know, we got each other's back. We're going to start this gang. And in case Gary Poindexter comes around, we're going to get him. You got my back. I got your back. I didn't know that when I said that they said that they got my back, they meant way, way back. I did not know that. So there was this girl that I had caught my interest and and because I'd been listening to PM Don I went up to her and told her you know what girl at at that moment you start thinking to yourself what did boys to men just sing Uh, girl uh, although we go to the end I die without you and I was like oh my gosh so Gary finds out that I said these things you know these lyrics that you know because you'd write how many of you guys used to write down the lyrics from those songs? Thank you, brother. Thank you. See? We're, we're starting an openness here. Now healing can take place. You'd write down the lyrics and then you'd, you'd send her the lyrics. You know, I told her, I'll die without you. Gary finds out that I'm trying to, you know, spit game. That's what we called it. To the girl that he likes. So he targeted me. And I looked at my boys. I said, guys, you got my back. We got your back. Way back. Gary finds me in the parking lot of the, of the school. He comes up to me and says, Bone. That's what they used to call me. Not because I was hard, but because I was very skinny. <laughs> Bone. Why are you trying to holler at my girl? Don't you know I'm from California? California Compton Crips. I'm like, dude, you're from, you're from Lakewood. <laughs> a gangster. Gary comes up to any old guys do this thing. I mean, none of the guys here did this, so don't judge them. But you start, like, you know, puffing out your chest and then chest bumping each other. Like, what, what, what? And after that dance is over, then you get serious a little bit, you know. And you're hoping the whole time that some, and, and you always lie to each other. Like, don't, you're lucky they're holding me back. You're lucky they'll hold me back, man. Come hold me back. You're lucky they're holding me back. <laughs> you're chest bumping each other. And finally, I was like, you know what? I've got the Looney Tunes posse with me. I'm going to fight this punk because if, if I don't end this today, it's going to happen again tomorrow. So I stepped back and I curled my fist and I started swinging. Boom, 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 boom. Five hits in and it was over for me. <laughs> Gary let me have those and then he grabbed me and just for the next five minutes or five hours it felt like, he just pounded me. And I'm looking around, Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes, where you at? You got my back? Way back. Jesus does not say that he's willing to risk his life as a shepherd for his sheep. He doesn't make 
guarantees and promises that he's going to have your back when you're in trouble, when the bully of, of this world comes around to, to snatch your life, to steal from your life, to murder the life that he wants to get. He does not say that he, he's going to uh, uh, be there and then if in case something happens, he'll be there. Rather, Jesus says preemptively, what the enemy has plotted against you, I have a plan to rescue for. And it works out like this, David. I lay down my life for my sheep. I am the lamb that died, that was slain before the foundations of the world. Before anything had happened that was evil or bad, I had already slain myself in order to bring you to redemption. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You guys are with me so far. Point number one, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And the reason why the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep is because the good shepherd, point number two, loves his sheep. The text tells us in verse uh, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. In this passage, Jesus is going to say that he lays down his life for the sheep at least four times. It's as if Jesus is rapping. I'm the good shepherd. The other shepherds were false. They came to see, I lay down my life for my sheep. I am the good shepherd. My father knows me and I know the father and I know my sheep and the sheep know me because I lay down my life for my sheep. I, I, I call the other sheep that are out of this fold and bring them together and unite them because I lay down my life for the sheep. It's as if he's singing this song and the major thread of him becoming the shepherd that lays down and becomes the door is predicated on the fact that he will lay down his life and die for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd loves his sheep. He says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now, the thing about that word know is that it's not the way we understand it as know. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, it says that Adam knew his wife Eve and they had a child. I didn't know that you can just have a child by cognitive knowledge of them. He's speaking of an intimate love that produces life. He says, I know you. I love you. I've set my heart. In, in, in Matthew and Mark and, and even in John, when, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it says that Jesus looked at the multitudes as, as though they were sheep without a shepherd and had compassion on them. That compassion, the word compassion, the literal translation, if you were to say compassion in the Greek now, in the English, it would have translated like this. Jesus looked at the people. And his stomach was turned upside down and tied up in knots with great love towards them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You may not know this, but you're in the Bible. You, you are in the Bible. See, the thing is that when Jesus was laying down his life by dying on that cross, it was not a general death. That was to an unknown people group, but rather each and every pound of the nails that went through his hands, each, each lash had your name on it. He thought of you. He looked at you and said, I love Beth Adame. I love Jim Coe. I love this person. I love, my, I love this person. I, I'm dying for this individual. I laid down my life for sheep number 5,800 a million and two, Jonathan Belima laying down my life for him. 
because I've loved him with an eternal love. A love that is described, you guys watch the Kardashians, a love that can be described as a love triangle. The love that God has for you is one in which the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit have love and community in themselves. You've heard it say that God is love, right? He says in that description of how God is love, he brings Emily into it and puts her in the center and says, that's the type of love that I have for you. That's the type of love. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd loves and knows the sheep intimately. Number three, the good shepherd unites his sheep. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. I I love that. that I must bring them also. Uh, Prior to, to Matthew, prior to the new covenant, the new testament, this whole salvation thing was 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 all about one people group, the, the Jews. It was only salvation was for the Jews. But what the Jews failed to understand in all the pictures of the rituals that they were, they were practicing was that the Messiah would come from them in order to bless, bless all people. I must bring these other sheep that are not of this fold. Man, this is good news right here. This is, this, this is one of those passages of scripture where, 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 where heaven no longer is just based on kosher meat. Huh? You guys see it? It's biblical. Right here, Jesus is saying, we're going to have Mexican food in heaven because Mexicans are a part of this fold. We're going to have some Africans and some drums beating because they're a part of this fold. Asians are going to be a part of Rich people, poor people are going to be a part of this fold. There will be one fold. No longer will humanity be separated by culture, dialect, accent, socioeconomics. The way that religion has set them up to be separated, but rather... I'm calling out my sheep one by one into a fold that's beautiful. That's filled with people from all walks, all talks. The good shepherd becomes a door and lays down and brings you and I into relationship with himself, with God the Father. And then it says that that, that they enter in and they go in and out and find pasture. The reason why you and I can enter in and then go in and out and find green pastures and live the life abundantly, the life that goes beyond what we can think, imagine, conceive, fathom, is because the good life, the good shepherd, takes his life up again. He says, I lay down my life and I take it back up. Oh, man, that's, that's so good. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. The cross is not an accident. The cross is not one of those things that God was trying to reach his people. and bloop, He tripped, and there he was on the cross. But rather, it is part of his plan to lay down his life so that he may take it up again. So yes, he may be thrown up on a cross, hung high, spread wide, and then he's thrown into a grave. But on the third day, he raises back up with all power. And then says, the very same power that rose Christ from the dead is alive in you who've entered in by me laying down my life. 
So now you can go in and out. The reason why you can go in and out is not based on your power, not based on your wisdom, not based on your effort, not based on what you can do, but rather it is based on the Zoe God life, the power of the spirit that is alive in you because I laid down my life, I rose it back up, and I sent my spirit to dwell on the inside of you as well. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. I love my sheep. I unite my sheep from around the world. And then I raise myself up so that the sheep could have the same power that rose me up. If you're not a Christian, today Jesus is telling you, I'm the door. Relationships are not the door. Money is not the door. Religion is not the door. I am the door. Enter in and experience the life I can give you. If you are a Christian and you've been walking in this life, celebrating that Christ died for you, but not walking out the life that he rose up for you, what Jesus wants you to do this morning is to experience the life abundantly by turning to him and saying, God, I want more of you, more of your power, more of your protection, more of your provision. Two options. Enter in. And once you're in, let's go in and out by the power of the resurrected Christ. So we may experience the God life abundant that he has promised us. The type of life where you've got family members that bother you and get on your nerves, Chris. But because of this life that's alive on the inside of you that he's promised this abundant life, they can still trip and be trifling, but they no longer bother you like they, wait, they used to. Because you got that life. You may have a boss that, that is constantly giving you more than you can, making things weird in the workplace, but you know what? It doesn't get to you the way that it used to get to you because now that you have entered in, you've got that life and that life abundant on the inside of you. The way you enter in is not because, not because of you doing a work but it's all because of the good shepherd who laid down his life and took it back up again amen